My name is Mike Saba, and I teach archaeology and the Bible for both uh, the church here, Antioch, for the adult Sunday school, and also for Kilns College. And Ken asked me to do a little background today for our story out of John chapter 4, which is uh, the woman at the well in Samaria. And so this is just about a five to ten minute uh, Bible uh, background moment. Uh, can you all hear me? Are that good? Yeah, that's good. Okay. Um, just to give you a little background to the story of the woman at the well in Samaria, we need to go back to uh, the United Kingdom in Israel. This is about 1,000 years B.C., and we come to a point in Israel's history. Uh, this is during the reign of Solomon, and it was a high point in Jewish history, and the nation was united. All the 12 tribes were united under one king, and the country was rich, at peace, prosperous, and a good day was had by all. And then they got in a fight. Next slide, please. And it became, instead of a united kingdom, it became a divided kingdom. And the northern area up here retained the name of Israel, the traditional name, and the tribe down, or the tribes in this area in the south became known as Judah. They were all Jews, okay, but the nation was split in half, and they didn't get along so well. And then eventually, from over in the Mesopotamian area, the big bad Assyrians started having an empire. And next slide, please. And you'll see the green here is the Assyrian Empire. The green meanies, if you will. And here we have the little nation of Israel in the north here and Judah in the south. And the Assyrians come in and they take over the northern kingdom. This area right here. Next slide, please. And all that's left is just a little red spot here of the nation of Judah. And up here where Israel, that northern part, had been the Assyrians brought in people into this area here, and they deported some of the Jews out of the area, and this area in the north got all mixed up. They had a mixture of religions, a mixture of races, a mixture of ideology, and that is the progenitors of what we call the Samaritans. So, next slide, please. And the Samaritans who lived in that northern area now, had some real differences with the Jews who remained in the southern area. For instance, they had a different Bible. Remember, this is a mixture of foreign and um, pagan and Jewish ideas that got in here, and their Bible was only the first five books of Moses, what we call the Pentateuch. So they had their own Bible, but it was different than the Jewish Bible. And these things caused conflict in the nation or between the two areas. They also had a different temple. That's very important for our story today. They had a temple at a place called Mount Gerizim. So they have a different Bible, a different temple, and a different priesthood running or working in that northern area. And the Jews, on the other hand, maintained the nation of Judah there. They had their ups and downs and in and out of the land. 
but they were back at the time of Christ, and they had the full Old Testament that we think of. They had their temple in Jerusalem, and they had their uh, priesthood. And because there were these differences, religiously and racially, there was big conflicts between these peoples. Okay, go to the next slide. Now we come to the time of Christ. And at this time, the Jews are living in, and I color-coded this so we could see it. It's real easy. The Jews are in the blue area. The Samaritans are in the pink. All right. So the Jews still had this southern area that they were in charge of, and they had then repopulated the far north, and the Samaritans had stayed in the middle here in the pink. So now what happens is that the Jews, if they're going to travel from this area up to this area, they either had to go outside through the yellow people, yellow area, up to the blue there, or they had to go through the pink. And remember, we have conflict here, huge conflict, racially, religiously, bad blood between the Jews and the Samaritans who live in the pink. Now then, Christ comes on the scene, and him and his apostles are traveling from Jerusalem up to Galilee, and they go right through Samaria. Now remember, Samaria has a different temple, different priesthood, different Bible, but they still have some vestiges of Judaism. And they still have the messianic hope, so they're still thinking that the Messiah is going to come. All right, now let's look at the encounter here with Christ and the woman at the well in Samaria. Samaria. This is the woman talking. And this is just a little snippet to give you kind of a feel for uh, this whole story, which Brandon is going to come up and actually uh, elaborate on further here. Sir, this is the woman at the well talking to Christ. The woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Talking to Christ. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. She's talking about the temple in Gerizim. But you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Here we go. The conflict is on. Okay? Red states, blue states. Republicans, Democrats. Where do you stand? Okay, Jesus declared. Now, this is radical. When you get this, you get a lot of what's going on in the gospel. Believe me, woman. A time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. The whole ballgame is going to change. No more Democrats, no more Republicans, no more this, that, other thing. It's all changing. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. That is an absolutely radical statement. We think that's normal. But at that time, where you worshiped and having a specific place was extremely vital to getting it right before God. And Christ said, all over with, now it's going to be in spirit and in truth. Something internal to you in something deeply honest. Wow. Well, that's really radical stuff. Next slide, please. So Jesus really in this text and throughout much of the New Testament really changed the whole ballgame. First of all, there's no more special places to worship God. That's done. Next. 
true worship now is going to be in spirit and in truth. It's going to be through your inner relationship with God. It's going to happen anywhere. And it better be honest. It better be based upon truth. No more ritual where you can just kind of go through the motions. It's going to be inside, and it's going to be everywhere, and it's going to be true. All right. Now he goes on, and by the way, he himself was the Messiah, the way to God. It's interesting. He now is the way to God, and he can be encountered everywhere. No more special places, no more special rituals, no more special diets. He can be encountered everywhere. The coffee shop, the well, school, work. And this, where this woman is right now, drawing water out of a well. All the special places tied into diets and ritual, that's all gone. You're going to encounter God in many and anywhere in your heart, deeply honest and true relationship. And uh, Brandon is going to come up and talk about this woman's uh, encounter with God directly at the well. Thanks, Mike. Great job setting me up. I just get to come up and talk about the application this morning. This is really good. I, not that I, I mean, didn't think it was going to be really good, but I've been gone on vacation this last week. Um, a little rusty getting up here. I was up late last night preparing for this. So if you emailed me or I say something that doesn't make sense, all of a sudden, I start singing, it's a small world, it's at Disneyland. Any one of those three things, I just apologize from the beginning. It's great to have you here. Um, those of you that braved the weather, um, coming in late, parking far away, and making the journey in, it's, uh, it's truly good to be here. I uh, wasn't feeling so well this morning, but that worship um, set really, really helped out, so hopefully we're... We're here this morning ready to, to dive in and see what God has for us this morning. This morning, I've got 42 verses to cover, so thanks, Ken. Appreciate that one. Um, I could have talked about baptism. We could talk about Jacob's well. We could talk about living water. We could talk about an outcast woman. Um, we could talk about Jesus' claims to be the Messiah. We could talk about how to truly effectively witness to your community. Those 42 verses, I, I had a lot of different options. But this morning, if you'll look at your insert, the one I'd like us to look at with our time here this morning is an encounter with Jesus. An encounter with Jesus. Have you, have you had an encounter with Jesus? Have, have you been at that place where you've had a dialogue with God? Is that part of your life? Is that part of your, your daily, monthly, weekly, yearly season of life where you have an encounter with God? In the Psalms, we see a couple examples of what kind of that can look like. It's not on the screen. I kind of want to just have you hear it this morning. Psalm 23, 1 through 6. Again, just hear it. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores 
my soul. This is an encounter with God. This is what it feels like. This is the essence of this encounter. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. You are with me. Psalm 118, the psalmist writes this, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures. Let Israel say his steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say his steadfast love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say his steadfast love endures forever. Out of my distress, I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is, my, the Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. That's an encounter with God. When you're at that place where you fear nothing, you have this relationship with God. He's your, sh- he's your shield. He's your shepherd. You have no wants. He's leading you by still waters. You have this peace, this joy, this hope. And those are tough these days, aren't they? It's hard to stay in this place. It's hard to continually have this relationship, this encounter state with God. It's difficult to sustain I found, maybe, maybe it's not for you, but for me to have this encounter with God that's like Psalm 23, that's like Psalm 118, I find that difficult to keep, to maintain. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. We're going to pick apart John chapter 4, and it's this, in, this amazing passage of Jesus and this woman having this face-to-face dialogue. She throws out a question, he answers her. He throws out a question, she answers. They go back and forth. They have this encounter, this moment, this sweet time in history that changes her life forever. Have you had one of those? Has it been a while since you've had an encounter with God? When was the last time you sat and spent time with God and feel a connection. This morning we're going to look at five walls that can come up. Five walls that prevent us, five barriers that prevent us from having these encounters with God. Because if you're like me, it's hard to maintain. Well, before we go any further, I, I got to make a personal statement about myself. I believe in a God who deeply, deeply desires to have a personal relationship with me, with you, with us. I don't know if you believe that or not, or maybe you used to and you don't anymore, or I don't know where everyone's at. There's a lot of you here. But I truly have come to the conclusion that God, the God of the universe, the creator of all, truly desires deeply to have a relationship with me. And that has changed my life forever. As a parent, you can 
maybe understand what that's like to truly have a deep desire for your kid, for your kid. <clears throat> this last week, as I was saying, we were at Disneyland, and so, um, you know, you buy these hats, and you never know when you're going to wear them. Um, it's the perfect time. So I'm at Disneyland, and um, our four-year-old daughter, Raina, got ahead of us. I'm wearing a goofy hat. I don't care. That's just part of it, so it's okay. So our four-year-old daughter, Raina, got ahead of us and um, went through this Mickey's house, all sorts of crazy little things, and, and, um, and so she's gone. She's, she's vanished. She's disappeared from, from the crowd. And at first, I'm like, oh, it's Disneyland, you know, happiest place on earth. She'll run into Mickey, you know, it'll be good. But as, as my wife and my in-laws fanned out, we couldn't find Raina. Where is she gone? Where did she go? And so I'm like strategizing, okay, Carrie, you go through. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to back around, um, go back through this, this thing we're doing, Disney's house, Mickey's house. And, and um, at first, I'm kind of polite, you know, hey, okay, excuse me, pardon me, you know, sorry, excuse me. And then this panic sets on, like, my child is missing. What do I do? And so, you know, excuse me, pardon me, just becomes a nudge and a get out of my way and a move. And I'm just pushing people over. I don't care how big, how small, you are standing between me and my daughter. Move. And I, I, we finally found her, tracked her down. She's, she's, she's home with us now. <laughs> but the thing was this. As a parent, this desire for my kid was huge. I didn't care if I had to punch Mickey in the face. I'd do it. I didn't care what wall, what barrier, what was between her and me. That's the God I believe in. Let's pray real quick. Father, it's so good to be able to call you Father. To know that you desire to have a relationship with us. You truly desire to meet with us. Whether it's at a well 2,000 plus years ago, whether it's at this service right now, whether it's at Starbucks tomorrow, God, you desire to meet with us. And so, Lord, this morning we simply pray as we dive into your scriptures and as we present and knock down these walls that so often come between us and you, would you please, God, give us wisdom and insight? Please, Lord, let us learn to know you more, desire to know you more. Lord, you are pursuing us. You are infatuated with us. May we see that. May we grasp that. Or no matter what color we are, pink, orange, blue, whatever it is, Lord, you desire to know us, and we thank you for that. Amen. John chapter 4 might kind of set the stage. We're going to jump right into it. Verse 5 through 9. So he being Jesus came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour or high noon. 
Verse 7, there came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. And I don't think this means like Jesus is lazy and he's a chauvinist pig and he's like, you woman, drink me, feed me. Well, you know, I don't think that was his thing. We're going to read his disciples are gone and I just think he was just kind of left with just, you know, him and a hundred and, I think it's 128 foot well and he's like, I, I got nothing. <laughs> I'd like some water. I'm a little tired. I don't have, you know, a bucket. Can, can you get me some water here? Verse 8, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? It's a conflict there. For Jews have no dealing with Samaritans. And so we see this encounter begins to unfold. And Jesus asks a simple thing, can you get me some water and the wall one comes up, and if you're filling it in, I'm not a filling kind of a guy, but today there's just so much to, for, to text to go through. I thought we'd just fill it in. So the first one is, is um, a wall of personal history. So this, this first wall, this first barrier that's up is this wall of personal history. She goes, how could you, a Jew, me, a Samaritan woman, how are we talking? Why are we dialoguing? Don't you know who I am, where I am, what I'm from? I'm not turning 40 or anybody on the church. It's just it's going to be part of our thing. Um, nice. Maybe in a little bit. Okay. How can you talk to me? Have you ever felt that way with, with God? God, you don't know me. I've got personal history. I've got a past. I... I or maybe that's a wall that you've put up and, you know, God's over there and you're over here. And I, I don't want God to know me or I don't feel like I can know God or be known by God. I was raised in a scientific family and I just, there's too many questions in this whole faith. I just can't, I don't think God's big enough to answer my questions. And, and I, I've got all this, this knowledge and questions and I can't get where you're coming from. Or maybe you say, God can't use me. I've sinned my opportunity away. I've got personal issues. God doesn't want me. And it's this barrier that you've, that you've put up. I love, and we're going to come across a couple more of these as we go through the book of John as a church. Here we see Jesus. He's like, hey, I'm at a well. Here's a gal. I'll go with a water analogy. And look what Jesus says to her. Verse 10. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Jesus said, I'm talking about spiritual living water that's going to sustain forever. He goes with this water analogy. Last week, Ken talked about, you know, the aging Nicodemus, talked about being born again. Confusion for Nicodemus. Later in John, we're going to see this blind man, and Jesus talks to him about being the light of the world. We see Jesus this, uh, to two grieving sisters at the death of their brother. Jesus talks about being the resurrection and the life. To fishermen, we see Jesus saying, come and I will make you fishers of men. Jesus says, I don't care about your personal history. I don't care where you're coming from, where you think you're going. I just want to know you. And I want you to know me and let's enter in and dialogue. And let me answer your questions. Don't put up these barriers. 
Jesus is saying, I've got gifts. God's got gifts. He's got this water, this living water. So we see that barrier of personal history plays effect. And, and maybe that's where you're at with God right now. We continue on in the story and go into verse 11. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave, a, he gave us the well and drank from it himself and did his sons and his livestock. And so the second wall we see come up is this wall of Christian perce- perception. This wall of Christian perception that you and I, those of us that are followers of Christ, we face. How the world sees us. How the world is perceiving us. What do they think of when they think of Christ followers? And to be honest, it's not always that great. And I don't think it's going to get much better. This perception that we have, that the church has. And here this woman, she's got five plus issues with, with what Jesus is all about. She's like, sir, uh, you have nothing to, nothing to draw water with. Uh, the well's deep. You've got some physical issues here. She's going to say, where do you get this living water from? This, this, where are you going to get this living water? All I see is desert. What are you talking about? And then she goes, are you greater than Jacob? All of these perceptions that she has, these issues that she has with Jesus. And maybe that's where you're at, or maybe that's where your friend's at, or maybe that's where your neighbor's at, is they've got these issues, this perception of Christ, this perception of Christ's followers. And it's this wall, it's this barrier that comes up. You know, and for those of you that talk about your faith outside of church, those of you that talk about God and your life and your walk with Him, I'm sure you get questions. Why does your church only do communion four times a year? Why does your pastor always talk about C.S. Lewis? Why do you always, you know, why do you tithe to the church? And all these perceptions, all these questions, what, why, why, why? All these issues come up. And I think as we are being perceived by the world, we've got to remember what Jesus says here in verse 13 and 14. Because he boils it down to two simple things for us. There's two types of water to drink from. Verse 13, Jesus answers all of her why questions with, everyone who drinks of this, this well, this well-worldly water, will be thirsty again. So it's the sustaining water. You wake up, you go through life, go to bed. You wake up, you go through life, you go to bed. It's, there's this worldly well water that just sustains us. It's, hey, you know, it's my birthday. Hey, we're going to Disneyland. Hey, it's just this the sustaining just kind of life comes and life goes and yin and yang and we just kind of hang out in life and when we die well we don't know what we do there's this this well worldly water that jesus is talking about hey you can have this and it'll sustain you for a little bit for a little bit but then verse 14 it says but whoever drinks of the water that i jesus that i will give him, will never be thirsty forever. 
the water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus said, I'm going to come and I'm going to quench your thirst today, tomorrow, and forever. Me, the Messiah, Jesus is saying this. You've got two types of faucets to drink from. What do we choose to drink from? Worldly well water just to sustain us for another week? Lifetime, maybe? Or have we found this living water through Jesus? And are we growing in this relationship with this God who wants us to know more of him? Or are we hiding behind this barrier, hiding behind these walls? To me, in my life, and being a pastor for about 12 years now, to watch people go from worldly well water to living water is what keeps me in the game. It's what keeps me going. It's not standing up in front of you guys. It's not the sweet hours I get to work because they're not that sweet. It's watching people go from worldly well water to living water and watching them have this amazing personal encounter with God. To me, the choice is clear. And I was thinking about this late last night, and I'm like, that'd be a sweet Peyton Manning commercial to see you know, Peyton Manning do. The, I just like Peyton Manning's commercials. I think they're funny. Thanks, Kim. <clears throat> this third, um, third wall is the wall of embarrassment of current position. Wall of embarrassment of current. What's going on right now in your life? This wall of embarrassment current position. Check out what we see here as Jesus continues to have this dialogue. I'm standing behind balloons and reading the scriptures. That's just what we're doing today. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. 16, Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying you have no husband, 18. For you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. And then I love 19. The woman said to him, sir, I think you're a prophet. Like, I think there's something to you. You know me. You know my story. You know what's going on in my life. We, we, we can't hide. I mean, how cheesy is this? Seriously, I was on vacation all week. Give me a break. But seriously, we can't hide from God. It doesn't work. Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve. Um, I love this, this little passage here. It's chapter 3, right after Adam and Eve, they sinned. And then we see this, verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden. That'd be sweet, God walking in the garden. I don't know what that sound like, but it'd be pretty sweet. In the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence. I see your legs. Hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Nine. But the Lord God called to man and said to him, Where are you? Raina, where are you? God saying, Where are you? Really? I mean, come on. 
You're going to try to hide from me? We can't hide from God. He knows us. He knows our current position. We might be uncomfortable with that. We might, we might feel like that's awkward. But Adam and Eve totally sinned. One thing, don't do. What do they do? They sin, just like you and me. We sin. We make those mistakes. But here in John 4, we see Jesus saying, I know your current position. I know you've had five husbands, and you're working on a sixth. I know your current position. And Jesus says, I'm still here. We're still talking. I haven't picked you up and hulked you into the well. We're still dialoguing. Jesus is saying, I'm still here with you. Let's meet. Let's talk. Let's get rid of this sin that's in your life. Let me help you work through this. I, I know you. I feel like you guys can't see me. So, uh, hi. Um, Jesus is saying, I, I know you. I know where you're at. And I'm still here. And I want to help you get through that sin. Because whether you've realized this or not, sin is bad. Because God looked at all the things and he says, okay, these are all bad. I love you. Don't do these. Oh, okay, thanks, God. Oh, this is fun. And we come and we do what God says is bad. He's like, no, I don't get lost. Stay in Nikki's house right where I told you. And, and we wander into these things that are bad, labeled bad, sin. Don't do them. Oh, God doesn't know what he's talking about. Oh, those are silly laws. And, and we're just in here playing around, messing with sin. And God comes to us and he's like, knock, knock. Oh, I didn't know you could see me, God. I know you. I know what you're currently going through. Good, bad, ugly, messy, whatever. I don't care. I want to be with you. I want to dialogue with you. I want to hang out with you. I want to help you get out of that sin. <clears throat> Moving along, verse 20. If we go over, it's because I didn't account for this walking, sorry. Verse 20. So she had just said, I think you're a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And then jump down to verse 23, because Mike already talked about the rest. But the hour is coming, and now is here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And so this woman has this wall of wrong worship. She doesn't know what she's really trying to worship. She knows a little bit about the Messiah. She knows a little bit about what's supposed to go on, but she's missed the boat. And Jesus is saying it's not geographically, it's all personal location. It's not a geographic location where you go and you worship God. It's in spirit and in truth. What does that mean, in spirit and in truth? You can fill this in. The innermost heart 
completely and honestly open to God. Innermost heart, completely and honestly open to God. Is that you? Is that me? In my innermost heart, am I completely, completely, translation, completely opened to God? Or am I just kind of hanging out, trying to hide? Well, it's Sunday, so, hi, I'm a Christian, and then we back off, and Monday, Tuesday, hi, it's home group time, good to see you, how you guys doing? But we're not open and honest with God. I can't wait to watch this back on the video and see what that looks like. Are we open and honest with God? Why is it so important to be open and honest with God? Um, Answer, because God is seeking such people. That's the only place you can find God, is in spirit and in truth. You can't find God just by showing up, sitting down, standing up when Justin says stand up, and sitting down when somebody else says sit down. You can't find God there. You can only find God in spirit, your innermost being, and in truth. Who is God really? Not who have you carved him out to be, or who do you hope he is, or hope he doesn't see this sin, but who is he really? Inner, inner, um, in your inner spirit, and then truth. That wrong worship. God is seeking those people. You're probably looking going, sweet, only one more balloon wall. And here it is. Verse 25. The woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. It's just getting a little weird now. Sorry, those people over there. She says, when he comes, he will tell us all things. This wall of misconception of God. So often we just don't grasp who God is. We don't take the time to get to know the God we believe in. We just go with what other people have said or what we think feels good. And in so doing, we've created a misconception, a false God. And we're wondering, how I can't feel God? How come I can't feel his his presence? Brandon, I want to have this encounter with God, but I just can't. I think a lot of it's because we have this misconception of God. She says, well, when he, when the Messiah finally shows up, when he comes, he will tell us all things. You know, I think it's a little bit different than that. I think it's not that he'll just tell us all things, but he'll be with us through all things. There's a big difference between a God who just talks to you and then a God who is with you. And we see that there in Matthew chapter 1. It says, uh, verse 23, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God totally removed from us. No, that's not what it means at all. It means which, which is called Emmanuel, which means God is with us. He's with us. He wants to meet us at the well. He wants to meet us in the morning. He wants to meet us at night. The misconception is God is not with me. God doesn't want to be with me. I've got a history. You know, I've sinned my opportunity away. You know, there's perception of every, uh, what everybody wants me to be. I'm a little embarrassed of what's going on in my life right now. I don't really want to open up to anybody. 
I'm worshiping the wrong God or this misconception that God's not with me. That's not the case. Um, there was supposed to be one red balloon that I was going to set right here, and that was the Jesus balloon, but it, it flew away from us. It's somewhere over Sun River right now. Um, so <laughs> my notes say red balloon, and I'm like, okay. Um, so the red balloon is this. It's Jesus. And listen to what Jesus says to her. 26, Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. I am that Messiah. I am the Messiah. I am God's one and only son. I am the bridge to God. Insert red balloon here. I am the God who can get all of these things out of the way if you'll just keep looking at red balloon here. If you'll just keep focusing on me, the Messiah, I will dissolve all things. I will change all things, and I will change you in all good ways. Do we believe in that God? Do we desire to have an encounter with that God? So that's through verse 26. The rest of the chapter goes a little something like this. Jesus' disciples come back. They're confused like normal. The woman is radically changed, and she goes and tells her townspeople. Her townspeople come out, hear Jesus, this Jewish rabbi, their enemy. And because of Jesus, because of this encounter with Jesus, they say, will you please stay a couple more days with us in the conflict zone? Will you be with us? These people experience the true God. And they said, you, please, you can't go. I don't care if we're labeled pink by Mike Saba. You can't go. You stay here with us. Is that you? Are you clinging to Jesus saying, you can't go, I need you. I don't want to go another day drinking worldly well water. I want the living water. Let's pray. Father God, we've got issues. We've got walls we've put up. And they're cheesy little black balloon walls that really mean nothing. So God, we ask this morning and this week that you'd go with us and we'd understand that you want to meet with us. You desire to meet with us. And you don't care about our personal history. You don't care what zone we live in. You don't care about the perceptions of the world. You care about us. God, you sent your son to die for us that we might have that relationship with you, God. That we might know you, God. The Bible clearly teaches there's one way to know God. And that's to be perfect. And to not sin. And I, I think we've, we've, we've messed that up. We've sinned. So in knowing that, God sent his son to pay for our sins so that we could have that right, reconciled relationship with God. Lord, I pray that you're searching the hearts and minds of those people who want to drink of that living water. You're tugging on the hearts 
the minds of those people who don't know you, who don't have that relationship with you. But I pray that this week, they wouldn't try to find you, they'd just stop, and you'd find them, and you'd challenge them to leave their world behind and to walk with you. Because as we clearly see, you desire to know us. You're patient to sit with us. You're a God who wants to be with us. Lord, may we turn to you. We thank you for the gift of living water through Jesus. Thank you, Father. It's his name we pray. Amen.